If you're visiting with us today, uh, welcome. This is not Rotherham Evangelical Church. Um, as much as all the signs may say otherwise, this is not Rotherham Evangelical Church. Actually, this is Broome Methodist Church. To be honest, it's probably not even that. Welcome to One Stag Lane, Broome, Rotherham, S63NR. Uh, I'm joking, don't worry. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, um, we're doing a little sermon series at the moment, looking at how the Bible describes the church. Throughout the Bible, the authors use different metaphors and pictures to describe the gathering of God's people. We've looked at a few of them already. The church is like a family. The church is like a body. The church is like a light. Ian threw us off last week with his talk, thinking about how the church is ultimately Christ's. That's important. It's not ours. It's not Ian Jones's. It's Christ's. And then next week, I'm looking forward to this one, we're going to finish with one of the most extravagant ones, thinking about the church being like the most beautiful bride. But that's next week. We've got one more week until then. So uh, if you'll come along with me, we're going to think about the church being a building. Red flag. <laughs> okay, who let this guy in the pulpit? First he's told me this is not Rotherham Evangelical Church, and now he's telling me something that people have tried to get out of my head my whole life. The church is not a building, it's the people. The church is, the church is a building. Here we go. Okay, so just to confuse you even more, my first point, the church is not a building. <laughs> if you've got a program, it's going to be really handy if you get one of them in front of you. Even then, since Friday, I've then reordered the points, but... <laughs> I'm sure you can, you can follow along. So first point of the sermon titled, The Church is a Building. The first point is, the church is not a building, okay? Uh, and if you've been around REC for a few years, you'll, you may know our story. You'll know this is not our own church building. That was the point I was making at the start, okay? Uh, we do own a building, but we don't meet there on Sundays because we've outgrown the building. What a great problem to have, right? Uh, and REC, before it became known as Rotherham Evangelical Church, uh, didn't even have a name. I had a lovely phone call with Joan this week just asking about, about the church. We don't really know how long this congregation, now known as REC, has been around for. Our best bet is maybe just over 100 years, based on when they acquired the building on Wellgate. And up until the 70s or 80s, our little chapel on Wellgate wasn't even referred to as a church. They called it the Wellgate Meeting Room because that was the meeting place of the people of God. And I think that was an intentional decision of the Christians that met there because they understood that the church isn't a building, it's the people. Some of you will know that we are part of a, an organization of churches, or affiliation. we're affiliated to an organization uh, called the FIEC. And I was listen, listening to one of their podcasts uh, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> and one of the directors, a guy called Adrian, was sharing about uh, being on a government task force during COVID. Uh, and he asked a government minister a question about churches that rent buildings. How will COVID affect them? And the guy's response was, well, churches won't be able to rent out their buildings. And Adrian says, no, I think you've misunderstood me. <laughs> I'm not talking about churches that rent out their buildings. I'm talking about churches that rent 
buildings, that rent public spaces so they can meet. And, and the guy's just, what? Churches do that? And that seems to be the general understanding of our culture, right? Churches are the building. People go to church. Remember the little thing you learned as a kid? I can't do it. I've got really sore fingers. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's all ten of them. (laughs) And as fun as that is, right, we've been ingraining this idea that the church is a building like that since we were kids. We're ingraining it into our kids in doing that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Don't worry, I'm not bashing your parenting, but... But there are, there is even many churches around the world today that don't have big, nice, fancy buildings of their own. There are churches that meet in school halls, hotel receptions, other church buildings, like us, retail units, even in people's homes. And we've got brothers and sisters that meet, they say underground, but in secret because they are living in fear, because it's dangerous to be Christians where they are. Let me point out as well that many, if not all, of the churches in the New Testament didn't even have their own buildings. They met anywhere they could, all fit, a bit like REC. Let me show you a couple of examples. You don't have to turn there. I've got a couple of slides that will show you this. Uh, In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, at the end of his letter, he gives a big list of greetings to people that he knows there, just, you know, just being welcoming. And in chapter 16, he writes this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5 he says, Greet also the church that meet in their home. Or their house. And then again, in his letter to the Christians in a place called Colossae, Colossians chapter 4, we find that Paul writes again, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea, and to Nympha, whoever she was, and the church in her house now my point isn't where they meet my point is who meets there it's the church that meet there it's the people the church is not a building and the thing that all these metaphors and pictures that we've been looking at over the past few weeks have in common is that they are not places we go. We don't go to the family. We are the family. We don't go to the light. We are the light. We don't go to the body. We are the body. And how much truer for this one. We don't go to the building. The Bible says we are the building. We are the church. So that brings us to our second point. That the church is a building. But now you're confused. By all means, if you're taking notes, cross that out and write, the people are the building. That's what I mean. The church is a building. And hopefully, this is where things are going to settle down and start making more sense, okay? So we're going to break this up into three parts. And we're going to think about where we get this picture from in the Bible. The church being like a building. And we don't usually preach like this, but to do this, we're going to have to just jump into little different bits of the Bible just to put this picture together, okay? And so, 
First, as a building, we are the temple of God. And temples in general were not unfamiliar to the early Christians. They were all over the place. And God's people had their own temple. It was a huge part of their worship. And we could go off on a massive tangent here and we could talk about the temple and its role in the lives of God's people all throughout history. But we're going to have to really stay focused here, okay? So just bear with me. But note, okay, the one thing I want you to know is the temple wasn't only the place where God's people gathered together to worship. It was the place where God met with his people. Let me say that again. It wasn't only the place where God's people gathered together to worship. It was the place where God met with his people. And this building was right in the middle of Jerusalem. God was the center of their everyday lives. And then they literally built their lives around him. They built their homes and their businesses around him. A first century Jewish historian described the temple of his day as being covered in so much gold that the building was blinding with fiery splendor at sunrise. Can you imagine? And it said that no one had truly seen a beautiful building until they'd seen the temple. Beautiful building. This was the dwelling place of God among his people. And so, imagine just how poignant and how striking it would have been for the apostles, the leaders of the early church, the first Christians, for them to say to the church, you are that temple. You are the dwelling place of God. And this theme comes up a few times in the New Testament. The apostles Paul and Peter use this language of the church being a building, a temple, a house for God to dwell in. Now take a look with me, if you will. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible in front of you, that's going to be handy. Ephesians chapter 2, and if you've got a Bible, it's on page 1174. And we're just going to look at a couple of these passages now, okay? Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm really sorry, we don't have a lot of time to look into every bit of detail as we normally would. Um, But let me just say that if you do go home and do your homework and you dig even deeper, this picture becomes all the more vivid, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to jump in at verse 20. So Paul writes to this church in Ephesus... That as a church, they are the people of God, members of God's household, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too, he says to the church, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You are being built Together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God lives among his people. 
And see, the temple picture isn't just a metaphor, but rather it's a reality. The church commenced as the temple, the dwelling place of God, when his spirit came upon his people in Acts chapter 2. We're not going to look at that now. Take a note of it. Acts chapter 2. And do you know what that means? There is something unique when the church gathers together. As true as it is that the Holy Spirit dwells in each and every one of us as Christians, there is something unique about when the church gathers together. When churches all over the world gather like we are today. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you know what that means? It means we don't have to go to some holy site. We don't have to do some pilgrimage to Mecca or Jerusalem to find God. God dwells with his people. We don't need to face a certain direction when we pray. God dwells with his people. We don't need to bow down to some statue or picture as we come into the building. You don't need to take your shoes off. Please don't take your shoes off. Friends, that means we don't just have to go to a church building to get right with God. As you came into the hall this afternoon, this isn't some sort of spiritual shower. Do you know what else this means? That as we worship, we don't have to conjure up God. We don't have to conjure up the Spirit. Like he's some sort of genie. No, Christian, he dwells in you. He dwells among you. I heard a rather unhelpful story once of a, a music or worship leader at a Christian union who, as they were singing together, he put a chart up of the temple, Right? And as they were singing, and as they got more into it and more emotive, as, as the singing was getting better, that's what that means, he would point to where he thought they were in the temple to get, until they got right to the middle, right to the presence of God. And if it started lacking, he'd go, no. Do you see the problem with that? Church, we are the dwelling place of God today. Christ has already taken us by the hand, taken us right up into the presence of God. There is a heavenly reality that we don't yet see where we are in the presence of the living God through Jesus Christ. Can I drive this in even more? We're running with application. I had a great Monday morning going through all this. In the Old Testament, okay, God spoke through a prophet called Isaiah. And he spoke of, in one bit of it, how he would use the Jewish people to bless every nation. Not just bless the Jews, but every nation. God says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. How true that is. Just look around you. Brothers and sisters, look Can you imagine the look on the apostles' faces if they came into REC today? Gentiles. Non-Jewish people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Rich, 
poor men, women, children, old people, all honouring and valuing one another in a way that has never been seen before in history. All gathered together as a family, as a body, as a light, as a bride, we'll get there, as a building. And Paul says, joined together and rising to become a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I'm repeating those verses over and over again because they're incredible. This is the church. This is the house of God. There is a foundational element to this building, of any building, that cannot be ignored, that cannot be forgotten or removed. And that is the foundation stone, the cornerstone. So here's our second point. Again, sorry about the the outline on the back of the program. Our second point. The church is built on Christ, the cornerstone. I spent a lot of time on some architectural, architectural websites over the last couple of weeks trying to understand cornerstones. I couldn't tell the difference between my cornerstones and my capstones and my keystones, but I've done my homework. Um, and cornerstones were the first stones set into the foundation of a church of a, any building. Sorry, what they would do they would they would bear the weight of the structure. And every other stone and every wall of the building was set in reference to that stone, determining the position of the entire building. I'm not sure if they still use them, given all the fancy laser stuff that I've seen Mo using on the barn. I've no idea. Uh, But over time, cornerstones became more ceremonial. Uh, Almost became little time capsules. They often get engraved with names and dates and the purpose of the building. And in the ancient world... A stone-laying ceremony might involve an offering of grain or wine to their gods or even some sort of sacrifice, animal or human. And Paul picks up on this picture, doesn't he? And he uses it in his picture of the church. Let's read verse 20 again. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets... With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Christ is the very foundation that this spiritual temple of God is built upon. And the Apostle Peter goes on. To use that same picture. And he develops it and shows his work in a little bit more. If you will, turn with me. Back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Which Denise read for us. Page 1218. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me read that for you again. As you come to him. Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. 
you also, church, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. See, here's where Peter uses that same building analogy. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, here's what he brings out and shows us working. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. See, this isn't just Peter's own great idea. Peter is drawn from what God has already said of Christ himself in the Old Testament. Verse 7. Now, to you who believe, this stone, again speaking of Jesus, is precious to you. He's precious. But to those who do not believe, again he quotes, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they reject the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Peter gives us two pictures here. The first is of builders building their building. They're choosing their stones. And they've picked up Christ. And they've thought, nah, and thrown him aside. Right? And the gaffers come along later looking for his cornerstone. And he's gone, yeah, beauty, would you look at that? One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? Kids, have you ever seen your mum and dad put something aside and later on fall over it and then blame you for it? Oh. (laughs) Well, that's the second picture Peter gives. The same builders throwing the stone aside, rejecting Christ, later tripping up over the same stone and going, who put that there? (laughs) Rejected in his life. And ultimately in his death. So rejected that they killed him. Unjustly. And many today still live in rejection of him. They want nothing to do with him. They'll throw him aside. Useless. But this stone that they have thrown aside will be their downfall. Jesus always was the stone, chosen and precious to God. Yet, Peter says, rejected by the builders, rejected by the unbelievers. And both those things are true at the same time. Chosen, rejected. Chosen by God to be rejected by men. Rejected by men because he was chosen one of God. And it is upon this stone that the church is built. Christ. Chosen by God, rejected by men. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If we build upon anything else, the church won't stand. If we deviate from the gospel, the gospel that the chosen one of God came, lived, died, and was resurrected, the church won't stand. Dare I say this, if REC ever 
moves away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, I hope it closes its doors before it then becomes a stumbling block to people coming to Jesus. If everything we do is not grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we are a white elephant in this town. We are a building that is draining resources, not serving its purpose. And let's apply this to the teachers and leaders of the church. If you're involved in teaching in any way here at REC, whether you're uh, an elder, a deacon, a life group leader, if you're on children's ministry, whatever you're doing, we have such a great responsibility to be building on Christ. You don't need to turn there, but in one of his other letters, Paul writes to a church that he set up that has then become quite problematic, okay? Paul writes this. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. He's addressing the leaders and the teachers here. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. In other words, what you build on matters. Christ alone. What you build with matters. One writer says, the quality of the building materials must be consistent with the building's foundation of a crucified Messiah. We must build consistently in line with the cornerstone. And so that brings us to the third point, or the second one on the program, sorry. That we are still being built. We are a work in progress. And today we can throw up buildings pretty quick, can't we? I don't know if anybody else is in the construction cre- uh, trade other than Mo, but um, here's some examples for you. Back in the ancient day, it, it took time, it took effort. The Parthenon in Greece, here it is. The temple of the Greek goddess Athena took 17 years to build. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, beautiful building. Uh, took 144 years to complete. The Sagrada Familia, Familia, I don't know how to say it, is thought to be one of the most impressive church buildings in the world. I think it's pretty ugly, to be honest, but they've been building that since 1882, and they're still building it now. I think they're expected to be finished within the next few years. I wonder if you know where I'm going with this. Friends, Christ has been at work building his church for so much longer. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't even overcome it. He's still building. He is at work now calling people to himself, again, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And he chooses and he forms every stone. The temple in Jerusalem, just to come back to that for a moment, it wasn't made with bricks and mortar like these ones on the wall, or cement. But each stone was carefully chosen 
I don't know how big they were, maybe, I don't know. But they were carved off-site and made to fit perfectly together, snugly, before then being brought to the temple construction site and assembled to take its place in the structure of the building. And the Apostle Peter says, in the same way, we too, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So I hope you've still got Peter's letter in front of you. For a bit of context, okay? Peter is writing to Christians that are scattered all over the place. Little pockets of Christians separated from other Christians. Churches facing rejection from society. And he's writing to them to encourage them to lift their eyes from the horrendous situation that they're facing to Christ, who has gone before them, who has faced rejection, the very cornerstone of the church. And Peter writes, chapter 2, verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Living stones, not dead ones. Don't worry, I hear you. You and stones don't have life in them. That's uh, biology, isn't it? Not geology. I did fail science. But Peter is painting this picture of a spiritual, living, breathing house. The temple, with every member playing its part, every stone being rejected by some, but carefully chosen by God and precious to him. That's us, every stone in this building. Now, some of the kids were pestering me for ages to watch a certain Disney film. Um, and I don't know how I went so long without seeing it. I'm seeing it everywhere now. But if you're a Disney fan or if you've got young kids, you've maybe seen Encanto. Yeah? It's about the Madrigal family. And the family have a, this sort of family magic about them. Um, and they live in this massive house. And the house they call Casita which weirdly means little house. There's nothing little about this house. But and the thing about Casita is that it's almost alive. If you've seen it, you know. Casita is another character in the film. The tiles are alive. The stairs are alive. The walls are alive. The windows are alive. This house has a life of its own. And it all has a purpose. It all has emotion. Have you heard of somebody say something like, oh, I need to get a move on, this house isn't going to clean itself? Well, you know what? Casita will. <laughs> this is like the picture Peter is painting here for us, okay? We are like living stones being built into this spiritual, really cool Disney house. <laughs> Even better, believe it or not. God's house. In the same way that God breathed life into Christ when he was in the grave, God has breathed spiritual life into every one of us so that we are not dead stones, but living stones. This is what he's building his temple with. 
And as Peter writes to this scattered church, he's trying to emphasize to them that they are not individual little houses scattered all over the place. They are one spiritual house, one big dwelling place for God that he is building. Rotherham Evangelical Church is not one house. And Christ Church Central down the road is another house. And if you're watching, hello, uh, Ladywell Baptist Church is not another house. We are one big spiritual house for God that he's building for himself. And then a new plant, new church is being planted and revitalized all around us with faithful gospel preaching. The secret house church meeting in Iran, terrified of being invaded by the police. Our faithful Anglican brothers and sisters, Presbyterians, Baptists, all of them, all of us together, one big spiritual house. Do you get the point? But even then, as a local church, we all know one another, don't we? Well, church is getting quite big, but we, we can focus on those immediately around us. That's what our life groups are for. We know one another. We need one another. In the same way that the stones of the temple were cut so finely and so precisely to fit together, we also are having lumps knocked out of us all the time and the hard edges sanded off. I need it. We are living, breathing stones of this magnificent building that God is making for himself, built on Christ, the cornerstone. And people often say of old buildings, oh, if these walls could speak, what stories would they tell? You know what, church? The walls of this building do speak. However many mouths are in this room. And however many more testimonies of God's grace in our lives. Maybe you come, maybe you come here occasionally, and you don't trust Jesus. We're so glad you're here. You may associate with REC in some way. Maybe you'd refer to REC as your church. My friend, if your life is not built upon the foundation of the gospel with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, you might feel disconnected with where you're at and what we're doing. That's fine. We're glad you're here. But how we long for you to see all that God has done and is doing for you in Jesus Christ. Listen to these walls speak. Listen to what they're singing to one another. Perhaps you're visiting with us this afternoon. Maybe you've come along with the intention of finding a new church. And we know that not all of you will stay at REC. That's fine too. But let me just say, wherever you end up, find yourself a church that take Christ and his word seriously. A church that is built firmly and securely on Christ. Don't find your home under the shelter of a nice, fancy, warm church building. Find God's people, the dwelling place of God here on earth. The church is not perfect, far from it. We're a work in progress. The scaffolding is very much still up, but the building's taken shape and she already looks beautiful. Let's pray.
Lord God, um, we thank you that you have been so faithful over the years and that you have built your church as you said you would, ultimately for yourself and for your own glory, but how we have benefited from that as well. And we're thankful for how we've seen that even in our own congregation over so many years. We pray that you would keep on building us, keep us building on Christ. Let us never forget the gospel by which we have been saved. Let us never forget our Saviour who went to such great lengths for us to reconcile us to one another and ultimately to our God. And we pray for every leader and teacher in our church that they would faithfully build on the foundation which has already been laid for us. Help them to build consistently with that foundation. And we pray for the other churches in Rotherham too, that they again would build on Christ. Lord, thank you for uniting us together. And Lord, help us maintain that unity as the church grows. And we know that's only possible if we're all building and leaning on that same rock. Lord, help us to know that we are each chosen and precious to you. Even though we may be rejected by the world. Build us up, Lord. And would you do that even in a small way now as we sing together?